Welcome to the Rusty Revolution Show. So for men and the people who love them. Can your mic sound? Where, right. we, where we discuss how men can find and embrace the healthiest version of themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corfrew, joined by my illustrious team, the man behind the wheels of steels, Kendall the mm. Jazz Man Williams. Doggone it, there's only one steel. And that person right there. Rachel by by you Lois Lane Graham. What's up, everybody? Hope you're doing well. Welcome to the show, man. I am fortunate, and this is how we're going to start today's show. I am fortunate to be always having prolific friends. The people that I have in my life are amazing, blanking people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Let me tell you. I mean, I just surround myself. That's what you need to do. If you can't surround yourself with people who are greater than you, you need to change the people who you have in your life. And today, I just got to say, people, as you can tell by the inflection in my voice, the happiness that is going on with me, I am joined by today one of the most prolific poets, authors, musicians in the entire world. Wow. Exactly. The Hakeem (laughs) Bellamy, the first poet laureate of Albuquerque, New Mexico, and now the deputy director of cultural services for the city of Albuquerque, New Mexico. New Mexico. I'm so excited I can't even talk. What's up, Hakeem Bellamy? What's good, Dr. C? What's good, New Orleans? What's good to the hosting staff? I'm happy to be here. And yes, that was a that was a very extra introduction. Thank Man. you for that. <laughs> extra. extra. Because you know what I'm saying? My people. You know, I, I got my people on. I'm excited to have you to have this whole hour. Can I ask one question before Go we ahead. Started? Go ahead. So This uh, is Rachel. Hi, this is Rachel. His producer. Hi, Rachel. I hate to wreck his, his thing. Uh we might be family. <laughs> Is your last name Bellamy too? I have a cousin <laughs> that lives in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Harold Bellamy. Uh, have a oh, whole wow. branch of Bellamy's yeah. out of South Carolina. So there you go. Go ahead. I'm done. I, that's awesome, Rachel. You know what? I'm, I'm so I'm originally from New Jersey, Philadelphia area. Those <laughs> Bellamy, but yes. I, I think I actually know Harold's family because there are Bellamy's out here in New Mexico. And if you're from Philadelphia, <laughs> New Jersey, we are actually related. We'll talk after the yeah, after no the doubt. Show. She's okay, all, we'll get, we'll she's up. always <laughs> like I'm from I'm repping Philly. Don't I'm repping, make me from <laughs> over there. I'm repping Philly. You know what I'm saying? Hey, and and by the way, I don't know if my mic sounds just as luxurious as it did last week. It feels a little, you know. Jazz. <laughs> uh, but Hakeem, we're going to get started, man. Everybody's listening to the show today. Sorry, everybody. No Facebook Live because uh, we just want to hear the luxurious sounds of Hakeem Bellamy. But as you know, brother, we ask everybody, what's your revolution, Hakeem? Well, you know, my revolution is very in line with this show. Uh, uh, a lot of the work I do um, by way of poetry is around identity. Um, it's around community building. And uh, as a as a almost uh, 40-something black male. I do a lot of work with, 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 with young men around masculinity, around how we redefine who we are, how we redefine what manhood looks like 2.0 um, in comparison to our grandfathers and our fathers and our uncles and other men we respect very much. But for our time, what does that look like and how do we develop healthy habits and replace bad habits with, with new traditions? You know, and as a poet, somebody who, you know, growing up, I, I'm an MC too, so it was always safer to say I was an MC and a rapper than to say I was a poet because of all the baggage that comes yeah, with that. No doubt, now, no now, doubt. now I'm telling these young men like, be a writer, <laughs> be vulnerable, be uh, be vulnerable, have feelings, uh, 
it'll help you out and save you in therapy bills later. Oh, right? man, you know? No doubt that, that that illustrious V word that comes up so often here on the show. You talked about growing up, Hakeem. Let our people know, you know, what's an interesting story that you'd like to tell about being Hakeem Bellamy? <laughs> well, there's too many interesting stories. And, uh, my lawyer... <laughs> My lawyer said, don't tell certain ones because um, that's self-incrimination. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I literally, I just got back from um, a memorial service where uh, I've been saying he's my longest living friend. My friend Jay Miles, rest in peace, mm. uh, rest in power. He passed away um, from blood clot issues, right? I'm sorry to hear that. And this was a, thank you. And I got to go home. Literally, I was home, flew home from Albuquerque Friday, was home for a few days and flew back Sunday night. But uh, I saw all the people that remind me who I am, right, you know? And so being around them, being around my younger brothers, we, we had to speak at the memorial ceremony, me and my middle brother, Rashid, who's two years younger than me, and we did a poem and unearthed some stories and feelings where we were talking about Jay, because Jay and I grew up uh, two years older, obviously, than, than Rashid in, in South Jersey, and he still remembers that we dragged him up the driveway of our first, like, single-family dwelling <laughs> after leaving, you know, after leaving tenement housing in Philly, right. our first single-family dwelling. We dragged his butt up the driveway by his arm, so his face was dragging on the on the driveway wow. as it was going up, and he didn't he didn't forget that because he chose to, <laughs> he chose to recall that story at Jay's memorial service, <laughs> and I was like, was I there? He was like, yeah, you were the accomplice, and I was like, yeah, that's messed up, dog. And so, <laughs> so I try to help young black men in a different way these days, right? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. You know, growing up in South Philly, man, what was that like for you? What was that that feeling of being a young black man growing up? And like you said, almost 40. So that sounds like the early to mid early to mid 80s that you were really coming into your adolescence and early adulthood. What was that like coming up there? You know, I remember Philly back then, you know, treacherous, you know, sometimes I'm sure Rachel can tell you. What was that like? Well, you know, it was it was the best of times and the worst of times, as one author said. Right. And it was uh, it was the best time for music. Right. You know? Absolutely. Um, but. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was just, it was all I knew until I started traveling, right? And then I started seeing um, what prosperity looks like in other places with other peoples. Um, and, and I look fondly upon growing up when I did. I mean, when I was in junior high school, it was like height of the Reagan crack era, junior black mafia, like on my, oh on my, my grandma's block. You know what I'm talking about. You yes. know what I'm We don't have later. Mm. <laughs> but, no doubt, no doubt. But we're, we're, we're just going on your stoop to get the mail was, was a, a, a dicey proposition, right, Absolutely. you know, because it, 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 but, but we didn't create that. We didn't create the drugs. We didn't create the guns, right, yeah. you know. And so seeing that really be like an epicenter and an eye of the storm in Philly and then going other places and see how they live differently, especially going away to college and later traveling and leaving the country, I was like, huh, so these are man-made problems, so there's probably man-made solutions, right. right. And, in, and Philly's come a long way. Like, Philly's come a long way. Really, it's now Camden just across the water mm-hmm. that, you know, was martial law like eight years ago under Governor Chris Christie. No shade. But, uh, <laughs> a lot, lot of shade. A lot, lot of shade. shade. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but and just seeing what happens when businesses leave because they don't like what their neighbors look like. Right. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. And I, a lot of work I do today, like I'm in politics now. I work for the city of Albuquerque, and it's like how do I try to uh, ameliorate that situation here? Right. You know? No doubt. And the world knows, you know, and from that political piece, you know, the, the great things that you're doing and how you've had, uh, how you have been spreading your message throughout Albuquerque. 
let's move and talk about you as the artist for a, uh, a few minutes. You know, first poet laureate of Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's a that's a huge thing. You know, the, to it's be a, the first. The poet laureate. <laughs> Explain to my people, Hakeem, what does that mean? The poet laureate. What is that? Yeah, yeah. So I work. You know, I work. I work. Uh, part of the poet laureate's job is to take poetry to places that it's not historically been, which oftentimes means uh, our community, because they kind of subjugate what we do as like folk art or regional art and things like that, right? But it finds me in a lot of libraries and classrooms with really young audiences. And when I'm with them, you know, I explain it to them real simply. I'm like, you are the poet of record for whatever municipality, state, or country you represent. And when they want to christen a building, uh, or a boat, they call you when you write a poem, okay. right? <laughs> you know gotcha. Like, all right, all right. You, you write a poem. But but bigger than that, it is it is really just being an ambassador for the art um, and for an art form that has managed to survive even the digital age, right? right. More people share poet, poetry and quotes in, in, their, tweet, in their tweets than, um, than they do walking into a library and picking up a book of poetry. So it's kind of like a new day for a poet. And, uh, and I'm just encouraging young people to, to consider it, not just to consider it as a as a career because there's no money in it, yeah. <laughs> but, to, but, to, but to consider it as a way to have a voice in a, in a kind of media landscape that, that doesn't give you a voice. And, you know, we got Black Lives Matter and these Parkland kids saying that, yeah, we, if you won't cover us, we'll cover ourselves. We'll cover right? ourselves. So, and I love I love their revolution. You know, if, you, if you're listening, you just joined us. We are talking to Hakeem Bellamy, a poet laureate of Albuquerque, New Mexico, talking about his story. You know, and, and the importance of being the ambassador, you know, continuing to pave the way for this art form to set the tone in places, but also allow for a historical narrative, you know, through poetry. You know, what do you think has moved you to become such a versatile artist? Uh, code switching. That's, Ooh, what, that's what, you know, I think that the best thing that prepared me, the best thing that prepared me to do what I do now. Um, and, you know, writing poems for government occasions and then literally later that night having to go into a bar or to a community center where they're doing like a, you know, a hip hop project and being able to like say, you know what, same message because you're smart enough to get this message too and you already see it, right? But I have to be able to shift the, the narrative and the dialect and the dialogue for different audiences. And I think that, that really that, that and my background growing up playing sports is the best thing that prepared me for um, being the poet laureate of Albuquerque, right? And, and right. shout out, shout out to Albuquerque for picking a guy that didn't grow up in New Mexico, no doubt, and, and, and letting me represent them for two years and entrusting me with that with that responsibility. It is you know? a huge responsibility. It is a very huge responsibility, and I applaud. And I'm sure you know all of our, our all of our mutual friends applaud the amazing work to to have that distinction to be go out to go out and. Show the world. You know, I, I love that. Just being able to show the world that we are versatile. And I love that you said that code switching. And that is so, I want to say, and, and Rachel might help me out here, I want to say that it is so important for us to quote, code switch. But as I think about saying that, mm. it, is it important for us to code switch? So so here's the interesting thing, and I'll, I'll jump in really quickly. Go in. When I heard you say that, um, that's one of those things that especially black men have to unpack mm -hmm. on their road mm -hmm. to the healthiest version right. of themselves. Exactly, exactly. Because you have to put on the mask, mm -hmm. and then you have to ask the question, um, the dilemma, do I want to have to be in spaces where I have to put on that mask and yes. not be my full self? 
Right. And so, yeah, I'm in a space with that. Right. Go ahead. Shout out to Paul Lawrence Dunbar, right? Yeah, exactly. The mask we wear, no doubt. Yeah, and, and 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 that wonderful documentary a few years back, you know, the mask we live in. I, right. I probably mistitled it, but but all of that, and, and and understanding that if we want our story to be told, we're the best tellers. But if you want them to hear it, you have to be able to 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 translate it, right? Yeah. You have to be able to translate it, right? You know, and and as I was saying that, I thought about the terseness of it, mm-hmm. of having to do that consciously. Every day. And, you know, code switching. When I call a certain space, this is Dr. Charles Corpru. Right. Right? And, right. and doctor, and, and, and having to change a little bit of the inflection of my voice. Yeah. Right? right. If I'm calling for a reservation or if I'm calling for different things, <laughs> that I, I can use the. Um, the King's English. I can use the King's right. I- 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 Exactly. <laughs> Not to make you feel order. threatened. And that is the interesting thing that we have to consciously do that. And that you have been able to use it in a manner that is proactive and adaptive to your success. That yeah, we've a- had to, right? We've had to as a people in order to evolve. And, and, and it's just, it, it, you shouldn't have to, right? To go back to your original commentary, it's like you shouldn't have to, no. But but life is what it is, right? And so survival, <laughs> you know, suggests that if you you need to do this to create your space, to claim your space, to claim your identity, and um, yeah, like it's it's a skill that we all intuitively develop. But it's like how do you um, wield it? How do you wield it and use it for not just the gain of you and your loved ones, but to better your community, right? So, yes, exactly. So Hakeem, if you are giving this information to some of the boys that you mentor. What would you say to them now? What would you say as they're going out? What would you say and how – what kind of strategies would you employ them to use to be successful, knowing that the code switching can be so mentally taxing on them? Yeah, taxing is the right word, right? So first I'd be like, what's your self-care <laughs> regiment, right? Because you got you to gotta gird up. You got to put on your armor every day, right? But also to say that your individuality, right, we shouldn't have to code switch. And so I'm always looking for ways to insert my identity into what I'm sharing, right? And oftentimes what I'm sharing is a poet laureate is to a broad audience. You know, um, if I'm on a stage, you know, rhyming, it's to a much more <laughs> defined audience. But it's, it's still saying, how do, I, how do I be me? And that's not just useful if you work in City Hall. It's useful if you're trying to differentiate yourself as a hip-hop artist. Right. right? How do you tell your story and, and find ways where you can still be you? You can still wear your cornrows and your locks, right? But you also... <laughs> You also know that, you know, if it's a court date or a wedding, that you're going to wear a tie and that that's not in no way is that diminishing you. But how do you still do that with style? Right? Right. That's what that's what our people have done for generations. We've evolved, but we've also stayed true to who we are. You know, exactly. So. Exactly. Everybody knows that if you've been on my Facebook page, my Twitter or my Instagram, this picture of this handsome brother. You know, doing doing this thing, you've got a, a ton of likes, <laughs> a ton of likes, but you still have that style. And as you said, that black men have had style, and that's been a part of who we are for generations. I think about, you know, uh, um, I was speaking on Saturday. I spoke at the National Association of Mental Illness for their state conference this week, and I was having a conversation with the state director. And he asked me what I was going to wear, Hakeem. Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't think anything about it until later on, until later. Was he a white man? Huh? Was he a white yes, man? Yes, yes, he was. Now I, I, I gotta yeah. give him. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not gonna talk not, we're not, badly of him. I, I just right. had the question. Yes, white man. He and so he asked me, 
what I was going to wear. And my first, you know, and my, my statement is my father got up and dressed well every day. And sure. so I will be there in a suit. I understand that it's a Saturday conference. It's, you know, uh, I, I love to throw on the What's Your Revolution t-shirt and some jeans and roll out, right? <laughs> but this, was an, this is an opportunity for me to have, uh, to canvas uh, as well as represent Charles Cooper and What's Your Revolution. So I'm going out in a suit. But as I thought back later, Hakeem, I was like, why did you ask me that why question? Why does that matter? Why does that matter? Right? Why does that and matter? You know, I, why did you Rachel feel knows that, that our sisters our sisters and women have to deal with that Every all the time, day. right? All the time, right? You know, and, and you're right. And it's also like I'm representing a business, and, and you guys are representing your dream, and I'm here with you co-signing it right now. And it's like I'm going to show up like I came to work because I'm working. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Right. But it was, it was just quite interesting, and I had to unpack that. You know, because there was that thought, why are you asking me? And then there was also this thought was, well, can you send us your presentation, right? And I was like, did you ask, did you ask anybody else to do that? <laughs> I mean, I asked my, I right. mean, and I felt because, Hakeem, you know, you, we have to deal with those questions. You do, you do. You know, right? Yeah. You you have like, to you like, like, as Cedric, uh, who was it, Cedric the Entertainer, maybe in Kings of Comedy, he was like, I'm going to say something. Like, and they're always worried that you're going to say something. Right, right, right. Like, right. You know, and so they want to see, and, and, and as, as artists, we have to do that all the time, especially if we're going to be at government events or other events, and they want to make sure that you ain't going to rock the boat too much. Right, and it's right. And it's a fine line to navigate where I'm true to the community I come from, but I'm also going to do a little bit of, you know, communication apprehension. I'm going to know my audience, and I'm going to speak to my exactly, audience. Exactly, exactly. And that, that is that code switch. So, you know, I had to think about, am I going to put this big Black Lives Matters picture up when I talk about doing your work? <laughs> you know? Um, but that's that interesting dialogue, and I love, you know, I love that you brought out that code switching piece. So, Hakim, as we go back into your work for one second, what do you think is your greatest piece of work to date? Man, that's that's a hard one. You know, I always talk when I talk about my work, and, and I've been fortunate because as a very public writer, people always ask you like, who who's your audience? Who are you writing to? Who do you represent? Um, and, and even more pejoratively, who do you speak for? Even though I don't like that. They don't speak for anybody. People speak right. for themselves, He's, right? Exactly. But but I always say that I'm 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 always writing. I have a my I have two younger brothers and my baby brother Tyler is ten years younger than me, and uh, I still submit this many years later that I'm always writing for him, for his mm. audience. For wow. these now these early now they're early twenty something young black men, and whatever I have to say to your group of psychologists, therapists, and people with lots of letters out <laughs> after their name, I'm always making sure that I'm doing it in a way that. Um, I, w I would also uh, keep it real, right, and bring it to my own community. Right. And if they can't, if they can't understand it, it's not worth saying, you know. And so I want to make sure that it's it's accessible. And that's hard in poetry because poetry has historically been on being overly erudite and trying to talk above people's heads. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm, I'm I'm speaking to the people. And even if those people aren't in this room, um, you're taping this, and it eventually will get to them, and they will they will also have their own analysis of whether I. I, I kept it true, you know? Right, so. right. But with that, you know, I'm, I'm going to push a little bit. I'm going to push a little bit, Hakeem. With the mm -hmm, vast mm -hmm. number of work, when you think back of all the things you wrote, you, when, you, when you, you read it or, you know, or when you recite it again, you're saying, you know, this is my piece. This is, this is my Everybody sig has yeah, signature that, that signature Everybody piece. Has piece. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What's that signature piece that you think back? This was, this was the moment that I realized that I'm good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm still trying to be good. <laughs> but uh, but I think that uh, I have a piece called Afro Anonymous that uh, came out almost a year and a half after uh, the Trayvon Martin um, murder, and uh, 
And I, it took me a long time to write that piece because the, everything that came out immediately after um, the, the George Zimmerman non-verdict, um, it, was, it was really, it was angry. It was angry black man angry. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, that's like, I don't need to say that to my community because they understand those feelings. Um, and if I'm trying to say this with nuance and really bring people to my cause and have them understand what it's like to be shot literally for what you're wearing and, and, and the skin you are in, um, how will I say that? And, and I chose the vehicle I chose for that particular poem was an allegory that, that, we, that many of us, you know, of many different colors, but especially as young black men, have had with our parents about how you can't dress a certain way right. because you're going to scare people. Mm. And, and that's a tough conversation for any parent to have. I have a 10-year-old son who's black, right? And it's always like, yeah, you should be able to be who you are, and people should accept you for what you are as you are, but I'm afraid you might get pulled over. And so I'm going to go ahead and, as a parent and start telling you these things that, you know, uh, will possibly scare you and, and make you scared, but I'm doing it for your survival. So that poem is, is in that spirit. And um, it's, like, super long. It's longer than a slam poem. <laughs> and it's one of those things where I'm like, do people really want to hear this diatribe? And um, a year and a half after, obviously, this is, like, pre-Black Lives Matter, because Michael Brown was until later, um, it struck a chord. And it struck a chord, and then I was able to interview on Pacifica Radio with it, and I was able to get it uh, featured in an alternate article. And it was just one of those things where I, like, I wrote it for me, and I didn't really expect it to, to, to connect with, us, with other people the way it, it, it did. And that was surprising and, and fulfilling and validating in many ways. And so that, that would be the piece that I'd point to where, and I haven't really done it in a long time. Really? Lots of things, really? Lots of things, oh, man. Lots of things have go. happened since. Lots right. of things have happened since. But, um, but I feel like that was the piece where it was like, oh, okay, like the, the truer I am to myself and, and if, if I am my own audience and what would work for me or my son or my little brother, um, that that's actually the best way to, to come up with something truly universal. That, that accesses people in different ways. And so it, w- it would be that piece right now. I think that's the piece that, you know, got a significant amount of publicity, so that was right. helpful to my career. Right. But it was also like, yeah, the deeper you go in, the further it goes out. Uh, so stick with that, kid. Don't, don't change that to try to get some other accolades and awards as a poet, you know. So. Right, right. No, I love that. And, you know, you know I'm, sitting, I'm sitting here and I'm like, can you, can, you, can you give us a couple lines? Uh, I, I can. You gotta give me a second because I, I didn't have that one on tap. Um, <laughs> you, you, you did tell me to have something on tap. I did. But I, 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 I did. I but that you, one up, so. you know, you know. Well, look. You know, maybe we, look. I'll, I'll give you a chance at maybe at the end of the show because we really want to hear, you know, the lyrics, the the lyricists, you know, pontificate for a second. So just think about it. But I want you to think about sure. this. You know, you talked about fatherhood. You talked about your son. You know, and. Sons like daughters, and I don't. I, I want to be equitable here, but you know, a, a, as a father, I think about my. You know, as a son, I think about my relationship with my father. Uh, as he ages, he just turned 89 last month. But fatherhood is a special job, you know. And being in the position that you are, what type of values are you instilling in your son to help him become the best version of himself? Man, yeah, that, I mean that's and that's 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 precarious, right? In lots of ways because. I am a public figure here, right, at least in, in New Mexico and in Albuquerque, and a lot of times he's out with me. He's out with me at all of my events, whether, whether it's a hip-hop event and I'm rhyming or whether I'm doing poetry at public events. Me and his mom have a split down the middle custody agreement, so he's with me at a lot of things now, right? And so I think that I'm always trying to lead by example. I'm trying to teach him that, like, I could tell him 
to follow his dreams. I could tell him he could be the next president of the United States. But uh, I think that it's more powerful to, to live by example and show him. So I hope, I hope that's the biggest lesson that he takes, but, but that also that his dad is kind of out here unapologetically being, being who I am. And, uh, and at times, you know, in a few years from now, he's only 10, but let's say in six or seven years from now, that might come around and bite me in the butt because he's going to be who he is to me. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, exactly. But, but I want to raise him to be a person that's not afraid to speak his mind, even in the face of authority. Um, one of the best advice that I got from my old head about parenting is that, that it's a fine line, and you want to instill in them discipline and respect in these things, but you don't want to break their spirit. And that's, and that's hard because my dad, you know, who is suffering from Alzheimer's and dementia now, um, was a military I'm right guy. There, right there with yeah. you. Yeah. And it, you weren't allowed to have an opinion. What he said went. Nope. Like, you know, and so in some ways I'm trying to do it a little different, but still I learned very important lessons that allowed me to be who I am today for my dad. So how do I, how do, I do both, right, and how do I evolve that and, and try to make peace with that? And, you know, he'll be the, he'll be the judge of that. He'll be right. the proof, right? Right. So. right. Parenting is not an exact science, as we as as we both know, you know, and we both have been fortunate to have fathers, strong fathers in our life who have who provided and paved the way for us to be the men that we are. You are fortunate, Hakeem, to be able to pass some of those values on to your son. Hopefully, one day, if, if the universe and the Lord uh, <laughs> finds right. its find, you know finds its way, I may be able to do do the same. Uh, be quiet, Rachel. Uh, uh, gonna, look, look, Rachel, like we're gonna pray over you, brother. We're gonna pray on you. Uh, there's been a there's, there's been a many, water, many a prayers. <laughs> right, wash, wash them in the blood, Lord. Wash them in the blood. Uh, no, no doubt, no doubt. You know, it's interesting. Um, just to pull back for one second, Hakeem, you talked about your dad as they age and him dealing with dementia and. Alzheimer's. My father was just diagnosed with early stage dementia, and oh, so now you know uh, I appreciate that. And you know, as we watch our fathers, these strong men, uh, move into the later stages of their life, and we, we now, as men, want to think back. You know, one of the greatest things for older men to do is to look back and see their legacy. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that as I look, as I look at my father now, I'm sure as you look at your father. The ability to look back and say, this is what I've given to life. This is what I've given to family. This is what I've given to my son. You know, as he, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Hopefully, as this show, you know, as men think about their legacy they, and, and they haven't figured it out, they can come and say, what are they talking about on the Western Revolution show? And, and how can I hear from Hakeem Bellamy and his instilling values into his children? And what can I do then as well? I think about Greg Rattler, uh, our brother mm-hmm. Greg Rattler. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And giving giving him a shout-out and what he's doing over at the Silverback Society uh, along with our dear brother Lloyd Dennis. I was able to. Lloyd, man. Yeah, Lloyd, yeah. yeah. yeah Bob, Bob, <laughs> and, you know, Bob, Lord, father, you know. Lloyd. Yeah, Bob, yes. Lord. And to think about this, you know, as we find the healthiest versions of ourselves, Hakeem, as we teach our boys to coach, which as we instill values that allow them to be the truest form of themselves, I think about Greg. I think about Bob, Lloyd. And I spent some time at their VIP luncheon yesterday. Um, nice. and, and to nice. watch these young boys go through an etiquette piece, um, mm-hmm. you know, as in their dining and listen to Greg. Because right now what you're seeing is Baba Lloyd pass the torch to Greg. And mm-hmm. to see Greg take on that mantle, to put the cape on and, and to find his passion. That's our job, Hakeem, you know, in the mm-hmm. role, in our various roles as you as 
cultural director, as a former Port Laureate, me as this radio host, and uh, hopefully a beacon of light for men as they're finding the healthiest version. It's our job to make sure that we give back, that we can look back as our fathers are doing now um, to say that we have a leg, uh, that we have a legacy, uh, and that's that's what we want to have, you know. Hakeem, I hope you know. Um, yeah, to, you to know. put forth an example, to put forth a, a, like a tangible example, like they know us, they see us, they can touch us, and to be able to be like for them to be, I hope, you know, I'm being presumptuous here, but for them to, 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 to I hope, see us and go, you know, they, they, they are true, they're true to themselves, like look, look at how they dress, like they yes. see themselves, look at how they talk, they're true to themselves, um, yet they, stay, they keep it real and they handle business, yeah. right? They provide, they show up, they do all the things that we need to do. We show up for our partners, show up for our jobs, show up for all the things and the responsibilities that we said uh, we do the things we said we do. And, and if we can be that example and live that example like our dad did for us, that, that is passing the torch. Yeah, no doubt. No, I, I love that. Akeem, I want you to think about this question as we go to break. What does the healthiest version of you look like? That's what I want you to think about. For everybody that's listening, hopefully you'll stay to join us on the other side. I got a big surprise for you, too, Hakeem, on the other side. You've been listening okay. to the What's Your Revolution show with Dr. Charles Corporu. There's freedom at Liberty Bank. At Liberty Bank, you can now open a checking account online and gain immediate access to our many services. It's easy for you to go and keep track of your account at www.LibertyBank.net. You can even apply for loans or services on the go. Banking at Liberty, now 24 hours a day, seven days a week at www.LibertyBank.net. Bank at Liberty, there's freedom here. And don't forget to use promo code. WBOK. On behalf of Mr. Chill's Hot Dogs and Sweet Pastries, you are cordially invited to a WBOK personality meet and greet fundraiser this Saturday, April 14th, from 3 to 6 p.m. at Mr. Chill's Hot Dogs and Sweet Pastries at 575 South Carrollton Avenue. Join the staff of WBOK as we uplift our community by supporting small black businesses. Come out this Saturday to meet all of your favorite WBOK personalities. See you this Saturday, April 14th, from 3 to 6 p.m. at Mr. Chill's Hot Dogs and Sweet Pastries. Visit WBOK1230AM.com for more information. It's WBOK1230AM, real talk for real time. People United for Armstrong Park presents its second annual Jazz in the Park Tremaine Crab Festival, May 10th and 11th, featuring Loose Ends. Loose Ends and Michael Frank. Friday, May 11th, jazz legend Michael Franks and R&B sensations Loose Ends performing at Armstrong Park for an amazing night of music. See Michael Franks and Loose Ends are on Eventbrite and reasonably starting at $30, $50, and $100. Get your tickets now to see Michael Franks and Loose Ends before it's too late. The Jazz in the Park Crab Festival, May 10th and 11th at Armstrong Park, is a part of Jazz in the Park's thriving weekly Thursday concert series starting April 26th. Now in our 13th season and good, clean fun. For more info, visit armstrongpark.org or like us on Facebook at Jazz in the Park. On Instagram and Twitter at Armstrong Park or call 504-233-4ARM. Jazz in the Park Tremaine Crab Fest featuring Loose Ends and Michael Franks is going to be a sellout. Get your tickets on Eventbrite before it's too late. Non-lawyer spokesperson. Hey, girl, come give Boss Man some sugar. 
I said, hey girl, I'm your boss. Give me a feel. You can stop sexual pressure, sex jokes, and sex emails at work. You can stop it, and you might even get paid damages. Donatus King has been fighting against workplace sexual harassment for many years. He was president of the New Orleans branch of the NAACP for 10 years. Call Donatus and King & Associates. They'll fight so you can go to work and not be pressured for sex or be forced to hear sex jokes and read sex emails. Call Donatus and King & Associates, 504-821-3221, or pass by their office at 2475 Canal Street in New Orleans. Donata St. King & Associates is a full-service law firm handling sexual harassment, racial discrimination, auto accidents, and successions. Don't worry about a thing. Just call the King. 504-821-3221. For more than a decade, the New Orleans Regional Black Chamber of Commerce has proudly served our community. Our focus is to empower and sustain minority businesses by connecting members through our Deliberate Spending 365 campaign. We support our members through advocacy, events, and referrals while maintaining a mission to promote economic growth and development throughout the region. For information on how to become a member, call 504-948-0991 or visit norbchamber.org. Again, it's 504-948-0991. WBOK, 1230 AM, The People's Station. Welcome back to the What's the Revolution show with Dr. Charles Cooper, man. We have been having an inciting conversation with poet laureates, Hakeem Bellamy, my man, former Kellogg fellow, Artist. Oh, that's where y'all know yeah, yeah, he's no a yeah, yeah, he's a flake. That's right. That doesn't. Even, that sounds crazy. Uh, musician, artist, has written a children's book. You know, so make sure you go to uh, beyondpoetry.org. Is it beyondpoetry.com, Hakeem? It's beyondpoetryinc.com. Be- com to check out some of this brother's work. Before the break, Hakeem, I asked you to... Think about what the healthiest versions of yourself looks like. What does that look like on a daily basis for you? You know what, man? It's, it's, it's in, in a clinical sense, right? It's all about like moving, growing, and evolving past past old traumas. It's no different than anyone else. We're all trying to be a, a better, more evolved version of ourselves. But you know what? In this new capacity, and having been a, a, a working artist, you know, I was a full-time working artist after the poet laureate um, uh, opportunity came to me. Uh, it became really apparent that like most artists, it was going to be hard for me to hold a nine to five, right? Right. At that time, uh, to, to do that and, and really follow my dreams because, because at that point I became my business. But, um, you know, I learned some things then. I had a really good boss at the nonprofit I worked at, and we agreed that it would be good for me to separate. And, um, and since then, I've had lots of different jobs. I've, I've taught at the university. I've taught at high school. And now I'm stepping back into that more traditional nine to five role. And uh, this many years later, what have I learned about um, – over and under committing, what have I learned about scheduling, like, like normal adult problems, right, and being able to say that uh, I'm, uh, I'm in a position now where I, I'm, I'm holding a huge responsibility for this city that put me on their shoulders, and I want to do it right. So I'm trying to be better at time management, you know. I'm trying to be better at, uh, at communicating with my loved ones and my partner and my son about what that means to their lives, right. right. And those are things that I have, have historically haven't had to do in the past because you know, I, I leave a trail of relationships that have <laughs> kind of been uh, all about Hakeem and his career. And, 
And it's, it's interesting because we talked about dads earlier that my dad was that. My dad was a workaholic. And, and, and uh, the saddest thing now, I'm writing a series of poems for a one-man show around um, being black and dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's because we mm-hmm. historically don't have a good track record of dealing with mental health and behavioral right. health in our community. Right. And uh, the saddest thing to me, brother, is that when my dad now has, you know, these uh, tangents he goes off on because it's hard for him to hold a conversation anymore. Right, right. And, and, and you're talking to him about his grandson, and all he is, is, is babbling and murmuring on about is, is work, this mm. job. Right. He worked for the FAA, this job he gave over 20 or 30 years of his life to that put me through college, right? And, 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 and it saddens me that at the end of the day, like, they, you know, uh, we're going to, like, let him go, you know, for health reasons, you know. And, and, and it was like, this job, it didn't care nothing about you, and now you're in the latter, the sunset of your life. And I'm trying to get you to think about things that really matter to you, like the people you love and all that you can grasp onto because Alzheimer's and dementia is a terrible disease, is uh, work. Yeah. So that's, so that's where your headspace was. So he's teaching me to not let that be my headspace, but also to still, uh, still step up to the plate and knock down my responsibilities. Gotcha. You know? Guys, communication is one of the big things that we deal with as men. And how do we communicate our needs, our wants? our desires, where we actually are in this journey. And that has been, uh, and I I always want to say outwardly, but let me move this inwardly. It's one of the biggest problems that I have had is to how to communicate uh, with integrity and honesty. It was interesting. I laughed when you said, you know, left a trail of relationships. Yeah, it's a wreck. A wreck, wreck, you know, (laughs) definitely, definitely a wreck. And, you know, if you've listened, anybody who's listened to the show over the last eight months, you know, probably August, September, uh, November, well, October before that. (laughs) There is a month in between. There there is a month. You know, they probably heard, they probably heard this anger. They probably heard this disdain. They probably heard this, um, they they probably heard this man who just wanted to place blame on everybody else for the demise of his relationships. But, you know, as we think, as we grow, uh, as we become bigger and better in this journey, we have to understand what, what shared responsibility actually looks like. Sure. Yeah. And, and, my, and you know what? And right now my mom, his wife of 45 years, is, is, is the, the, the model of that, right? You know, to be able to say, like, yeah, she, she lent him to his job. She lent him to us, frankly. Right. Like, you know, and, uh, and, and now in these stages of life where he can't really – take care of himself she's she's doing it all she's doing yeah, the most, yeah yeah and uh and yeah no and uh big shout out to my mother as, as we are now you know being thrown into the midst of what what does dementia look like for us uh, mm-hmm. as, as a family and how does you know how do we support my mother because she's she is the bedrock of the family and i always talk mm-hmm. about her being the leverage point in the system and, and if she's not healthy the entire system falls That's apart right. um Hakeem, let's move let's move this conversation one second. I said I had a surprise for you. You know, Uh-oh. yeah, I had, a, I had a surprise for you. <laughs> you know, this world is quite small. You know, and or it it, it is quite small. Or Charles Corporate just happens to know a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, Charles Corporate just happens to know a lot of people. I'm, I'm going to go with the uh, the former, not the latter. Is that the world is small, and you know, as I said earlier, I posted this picture of this, you know, this statuesque, uh, affluent, I'm going to say affluent, intellectual artist on Facebook and Twitter, and I got a phone. I got a. Now fo- you're just being nice. Yeah, 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 nice yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool and I got a phone call. I got a phone call. You know, and was like, yo, dear brother. You you know Hakeem, 
right? And I was like, yeah, that's my man. That's how I came. We were Kellogg fellows. He was like, did he tell you that he was an alpha? And I was like, I, I was I, like, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, yeah. He, he told me that. He was like, did he tell you who his dean was? Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, I was like, no. He didn't tell me who his dean was, but I know who you are. So, Hakeem Bellamy, Rashad Wright is on the line for Yo, you. What's up, big brother? Gene? Have oh, you my. heard about the city <laughs> where the streets are black and old gold? Can you hear me stopping now? You know, it's killing you, isn't it? <laughs> Yo, Richard, what is up? How are you, sir? How are you? I'm Dr. Wright. So, so How are you proud doing? Of you, man. Ain't nothing, man. I'm proud of you. You taught me things. You I'm taught so, me things, sir. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. I, I called Dr. Corpru and said, wow. It, you know, people say it's um, six degrees of separation. I, we all know it's less than that. But um, I'm not surprised at all. I'm not surprised by your success. I'm not surprised that the favorite piece that you mentioned um, had an intro, you know, by Ralph Ellison and the yes, Invisible sir. Man and that whole dichotomy we deal with as, as men of color. You have epitomized that walk, and um, the, the, it's just amazing that you've been able to share that with the world. And I'm just so proud of you, buddy. So proud of you. Rashad, yo, man, I'll tell you what. We were talking about uh, style earlier. So Rashad Wright was one of my style competitions. When, we when we were young, this brother was doing it big. And yeah. I was like, I got to get some pocket squares in my life. And, <laughs> and, and, uh, with Tim's, you know what I mean? I need to, because he, you know, he kept it, he kept it mad Virginia. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, uh, he does. He still does. He still does. <laughs> <laughs> but that's funny. You know what, Rashad, I want to say to you, because I tell this story a lot now in front of lots of audience, and I want you to hear it, man. When people oftentimes ask me um, how I get into poetry, and I always give the, the, the long, like I was a kid, a product of hip-hop generation, because people always say, like, hip-hop is not, not literal or literary. And I was like, well, the only reason I got here is because I wrote rhymes, and I wrote them with, with other young black men. We sat in the car and spit rhymes. That's when I started writing poems. It wasn't, it wasn't Cummings. It wasn't, you know, Ginsburg or none of these other cats. It was, it, was, it was my people. I was listening to my friends. But I will say that the first time I really put my work out there was our probate show. What? Because uh, yes. when, when I was on when I was online with my brothers, my OB, um, I that I, I wrote a lot of the greetings, a lot of the greetings for the big brothers, and um, absolutely, it was a safe space for me to share it because they didn't know who wrote it because lots of we were all different people speaking it. But um, and you know, and, and shout out to my LBs, you know, um, uh, Keith and Twan and Ramon. Uh, we all we all collaborated on the writing, but they kind of let me take the lead on scripting them and uh the feedback i got from that when people were like yo those greetings was fresh the feedback i got from my big brothers like richard and dc and chris and and the fam brian hill who i still interact with regularly that was when i was like oh maybe maybe i got something to say maybe people like how i say it so i uh, appreciate you man appreciate you so much well it's all about uh it's all about speaking into the individuality of you know, your, the people you grow up with and encounter. And Alpha, just like uh, Omega Psi Phi and Kappa Alpha Psi, I mean, we all know if we look at the origin of fraternities and, and the time period in which they were established, um, they were a canvas, as I still from Dr. Corpru, you know, for men of color to illustrate that they were capable and they could be intellectuals. And, and really during the time, you know, even even before the Depression, we were talking about Jim Crow 
times, and uh, and that's what we still try to represent. Uh, eager, eager to hear more about code switching, but you know this show is about you, Hakeem. And when I called Doctor Corpru, um, I just wanted to say, hey, the world's small, and I'm just so proud of what you're doing, and and you're speaking for your son and my sons and and all the sons and. You know, men of color, but just any marginalized group, I think a revolution is about how people can find venues and entry points to, to illustrate that they're capable. And uh, you represent that. The show represents that. And, I'm, again, I'm just, I'm just proud of you. So it's really just to give you a call. And your dean is proud. And um, just keep, keep making a difference, man. That's huge. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Love you. Love you, too. Always. Hey, man. Hey, you know, all, all this brotherly love. Uh, Hakeem, just so you know how I know, Rashad, um, Rashad, let, let, me, let me give you your, your, your accolades, your credence here, brother. Rashad, <laughs> oh, Wright, uh, Rashad Wright is the chief of schools for the 45th largest school district in the country, Virginia Beach Public School, my alma mater. Uh, one of the critical pieces for me going back and working with the school division around building equitable outcomes for the school division, my heart, my love for my own school system. But without Brother Wright pushing that work and continuing to push that work with my good friend and classmate, uh, Aaron Spence, the work would not get done. And this brother, I have to say, is out there doing the work, is putting on the Tims, even though they may not look like Tims, but putting on the workbooks every day in Virginia <laughs> Beach making sure that every student has the ability to thrive. So, brother, I appreciate the phone call. I appreciate you uh, coming in and, you know, giving the love to Hakeem. But I will see you soon when I come home and, you know, we make sure that we chop it up and go out and get that, uh, that libation that we like, that vodka gimlet, and have a cup and chop it up, brother. So be safe, man. Give my love to your sons, yes, man. Rashad is one of the best fathers that I know, brother. So take care of yourself, man. We appreciate it. Hakeem, we only got a couple more minutes, brother, but I, I want to really, I really, I really want to talk about your activism. I really, I really want to talk about your activism because that's important. This is another piece because if you follow Hakim B., all right, H-A-K-I-M-B-E on all of his social media, you will see that this brother is well, not, not I don't even say well-spoken, is outspoken uh, about Me Too, about 45. Why is activism so much a part of who you are? You know, it, it, I tell you what, Charles, it was actually moving out here. When I moved out here 13 years ago, um, you know, and being that in a state that has uh, only close to 3% African-American population, in a city that, that gets up to, to seven or eight, you know, percent, um, and, and realizing that, you know, as I was going through school, as I was being tapped to, to be at public events and rallies and, and, and understanding my audience and being able to speak to them, I, when I write, I have to find a personal connection. I can't, I can't fake it. I got to, like, I, I, don't, I wish that my, my, um, my grasp of the English language was what some other poets are, but it mainly, mainly it's about passion when I write, you know. And so I was like, how do I uh, put me in a poem about immigration? Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up near the border. Right. How do I put me in a poem about um, sexual identity, sexual orientation rights? How do I put me in a poem about some of these issues that I didn't really have a, a firsthand personal experience about growing up? And then I got a chance to teach at UNM in the, uh, in the uh, Chicano, Chicano Studies Department. And uh, 
I, I it clicked. It was like, you know, with, with Native American mm-hmm. rights and land sovereignty exactly. because, you know, our, our country's still occupying, um, you know, and things like that. It was like, oh, wait, all of our liberation is intertwined. Oh, wait. Yes. Like, what's yes. with, 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 with beating up my people on one side of the country is beating up some other people on a different side of the yes. country. Right? And so I feel like for me, really, it was once I my eyes opened to that, it was like, you can't be quiet. You know, I, I study Dr. King quite a bit, you know, uh, frat, right? You know, but I study a lot about <laughs> uh, what got what got him killed as we as we um, uh, the poor poor word, but uh, celebrate his the, the 50th anniversary of his assassination. Um, it was like, oh yeah, he it was okay when he was going on and on about civil rights and turning the other cheek. But as soon as he started talking about poverty, right. he got a little dicey, right? And then he disappeared, right? As soon as he started talking about these other issues that were affecting people um, beyond the black community. Uh, he became a threat, right? right? And then exactly. I feel like if we really live in that legacy, then we can't, it's not NIMBY. It's not just not in my backyard. You have to use your platform to also hold up other issues, right? And so I, I try to do that because I feel like those same people who are advocating on different issues around pay equity and things like that um, come to my event and see me. And then they're like, yeah, Black Lives Matter, let's do this. Yeah, so exactly. I want, if I want them to return the favor, I got I to, gotta, you know, the golden rule, man. Exactly. You know and and that's so. what this revolution is about. How does your personal revolution lead to global revolution, brother? You know, and I think that is the mm-hmm. critical the critical aspect of what we have to do in the roles that we have been placed in, Hakeem, mm-hmm. is to make sure that as our fathers look back, what's our legacy? And we can say that we were revolutionaries, not in, not not in arousing bloody riots in the streets, but changing people's lives. And that's what we try to do. And, you know, I am so, you know, elated to have been a part of the Kellogg Fellowship and to be able to spend copious amounts of time with you learning about who you are. But when I come to Albuquerque, always feeling like Albuquerque is my second home with you and Robert Apodaca. You know, yeah, no doubt. (laughs) And and that's exactly what I feel like, knowing that there's this powerful brother out there who understands what it means to be black and male and to think about revolution in the sense that we are going to uphold our people. We're going to make sure that our men and our women and our children, and our families have the ability to thrive no matter what. That's what we do, brother. And so I am truly appreciative of your time and allowing my people to hear about your revolution. But, you know, I cannot let you go without you spitting a couple lines for us. Mad love, mad love. Yeah, and I want to, and I want to just go ahead and clarify that um, we, are, we are actually actively scouting you. I know you got family. Your parents <laughs> are there. You got this show. But, you know, I, I gave you the numbers on African Americans. Yeah, no doubt. So, yeah. you know, it's not all, it's, you know, it's not all <laughs> up and up. We got a covert agenda to make sure that you're well fed when you come out here yeah, and yeah, no enjoy doubt. yourself and yeah. hope that we could uh, – we could draft you. you know yeah, no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. I'm thinking hard. Thinking hard, brother. <laughs> so I'm going to share the poem we spoke of. You Go know, ahead, and, please. Uh, and please. I know time is short, and I, I have a career in radio, too, so y'all y'all can cut me off or start playing the, the wrap it up. We, we got two minutes. So, we got two minutes. You know what I'm saying? But it goes like this. AA, Afro Anonymous, a.k.a. Recovery, a.k.a. Wardrobe. I am an invisible man. I am a man of substance, of flesh and bone fiber and liquids, and might even be said to possess a mind. I am invisible, understand, simply because people refuse to see me. Ralph Ellison, Invisible Man. Son, if you ever came up missing, your hood would not be able to find you, unable to pick you out in the crowd or a police lineup, if you even made it that far, if they even came looking at all. But don't be anonymous, child. 
Make sure you stick out like a pair of sore thumbs alongside eight other fingers. Don't fist. Don't flinch even when their fingers curl horizontally at your chest. They won't pull if you don't push. I pray. Get them up. High. As though you could actually reach those prune dreams above you, rotting on each and every branch of government like you're the one being robbed of something and everything is suspect. When standing up for yourself becomes a crime, you better stand out like flannel in the summertime, like black combat boots and a trench coat any time of year, like Stephen flipping Urkel, pants around your nipples or they will put shackles around your ankles, hoodies around your neck, flowers around your casket because they murder more Stephans than Steves every single year. Don't be anonymous, son. Even if your comrades wear fatigues every day in this war zone and call it a wardrobe, you rock those plaid shorts like a tiger with no stripes. Do not enlist in mortal combat with the metropolitan military that can't see the fathers for the G's, our future for the trees. It's open season on hoodies and skinny jeans. The only bulletproof vest they can offer you is beneath this three-piece suit. We've worn these neckties for years because we're least threatening at the end of a leash. Speak jive only as a second language because when in Rome, you was conquered, people do. I know. Roman too. Empires aren't even covered so long after first grade, but it's never too soon to grow up in this backwards world of men in backwards hats getting gunned down in Walmart for brandishing a toy pistol. While manufacturers live the brand another day about how lifelike their product is. So authentic, even cops can't tell the difference. So anonymous, even cops can't tell the difference. Son, this is not cops and robbers. This is cowboys and Indians. And the only way to not get shot in the back is to dress like a cowboy. This poem is the only arrow pointing you past 19. When their life or pride is in danger, they cannot tell the difference between you and the criminal record. Put the wicked criminal record. Put the wicked criminal record. They've been bumping in their patrol car all day. The gangster rap videos they imagine on loop in your brain every time you open your mouth with no sir. And I'll leave it there. Brother. Wow. 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 (laughs) What up, cuz? Yeah. I'm just saying. You know, Hakeem, you are a talent, brother. I mean, you are a glorious gift to this world. And I want to make sure that everybody knows who Hakeem Bellamy is. You know, if you don't know who this brother is, go find out. H-A-K-I-M-B-E-L-L-A-M-Y. Hakeem Bellamy, first port laureate of Albuquerque, New Mexico, current Deputy Director of Cultural Services for the City of New Mexico. Brother, I am so elated, joyed, honored, and hashtag gratitude for you being with us today. Thank you, y'all. Namaste. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. <laughs> no, no, Thank you. No, no doubt, brother. Hey, have a good week, man. Give your love to your you son and, and your people, and we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate y'all. Thanks, Akeem. All right. This has been a wonderful show, everybody. We're going to spend just some time, you know, you know, thinking about what, what Hakeem gave us, the, the, the knowledge, the drops, you know, the wisdom. You know, you got to sit for a minute. You that know, was deep. That was deep. I'm you claiming know. him as a cousin even if yeah, you're not Yeah, no, you know, everybody, your family. <laughs> uh, uh, but I'm serious. We probably are related. Yeah, but the, yeah. Just, just thinking about that, that, that art and how it fills us, mm-hmm. you know, and I think about, you know, transitioning now to what fills me. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. I wanted to spend the last couple of minutes of the show giving thanks to the two people who brought me into this earth, Bertha and Charles Jr. <laughs> That's right, I am, I am his namesake. But today they celebrate the 53rd wedding, their, their 53rd wedding anniversary. Can you imagine that in today's world, somebody 
wanting to spend 53 years of their life with you. Sometimes, you know what? Let me say this. Your parents probably will attest to this. That is a day-to-day thing. It's a day-to-day <laughs> and thing. And that doesn't necessarily mean in every day of those 53 years that they really want to be around each no, other. No, no. But, but, and, and that's <laughs> but the thing. But they That is the thing. And what I understand yeah. more so as I grow as a man is that it is a choice. You make that choice every day. And it is a choice that they have made loving each other. You know, one of the greatest joys of my life uh, is sitting around the table mm-hmm. with them and laughing. Yeah. Yeah, we have laughed at... at Anything and everything. When I go home and spend a little time with the, the TV's on, we're watching Rachel Maddow, or we're watching um, what's that crazy Tyler Perry show, the, um, uh, the uh, whatever, the Johnsons, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but we laugh and we have laughed at least for 47 years. But they have been able to laugh and love for 53 years. So giving a shout out to my mother and my father. And the love that they have given me, anybody who knows me knows that I have a huge tattoo on my arm that that signifies their love, their union, their support. You know, they're my family. And the irony of this, Rachel, is that we are three only children. I know. I know. It's crazy. That is the smallest of small families, mm-hmm. you know, but we, we have, you know, we make this work each and every day. So I know I'm sorry that I cannot be there to share this wonderful day, but I know my mother and father are going to go out to dinner. They're probably going to um, Anchor Inn or <laughs> some little place that they've been going to for years. Yeah. yeah so no doubt. I want to thank you all, everyone who's listened in with us today. Rachel, my man, Kendall, behind the wheels of steel. You called him by his government. I know, right, Kendall. <laughs> but you left that ass off. I know, Kendall's. <laughs> no, I was talking you about know. steel. I know, the wheels, the wheel of steel. It's um, the wheels of steel. Yeah, there we go. Wheels, <laughs> I gotcha. So thank you for listening to this wonderful show with Hakeem Bellamy, his good friend, my good friend, Rashad Wright. Thank you for calling in. And as always, be able to answer the most thought-provoking question of your life. What's your revolution? Have a great week, everyone. Tune in next week to have my man, Will Snowden, uh, CEO of the Jura Project, to detail his revolution. Take care, everyone.